Welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Nason. Our show features the hottest authors and introduces you to exciting new authors talking about themselves and their latest books. Our show today is all about escape. Road to Freedom from Behind the Iron Curtain by Alfred Lenarziak tells the tale of a young man's narrow escape to freedom. Author Willow Love was inspired by her own harrowing escape to write her intriguing novel, The Ziegler Rules. Joining us is author Alfred Lenarsiak. He was born in Poland in the 1950s and escaped the communist regime. He has degrees in engineering and finance, and those degrees have allowed him to work all over the world. He began writing stories based on his own life experiences several years ago, and he's published two other books. Alfred is joining us today to talk about his new book, Road to Freedom from Behind the Iron Curtain. Welcome, Alfred. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before you and I really begin talking, let's give our listeners an overview of what the book is about. It's so interesting. This is a very simple book. It's the book of almost all of us in America and everywhere. It's a book of immigrants. It's the story of a young man who, at age of 10, uh, listening to clandestine radio, understood the value of the freedom, not only word the freedom, but freedom itself. And for the next 14 years, took him, uh, with all the struggles, to build up the way how he can escape communist regime. We have to understand that that's not a long time ago. That was 1974. Half of the world was living under communist regime, behind the Iron Curtain. Physically, we were like in a jail, in prison. We didn't have a passport. We couldn't go nowhere. It was all control. So this young man has to prepare his way of freedom. The book, I, I wrote actually the book uh, just for my son who was born in North America, educated, he's in financial business, etc. So for him, understanding the, the, the freedom is something fluid, something which he can see in the movies, etc., etc. When he's going to Poland, he's uh, received very modern country, very well, different. But in my time, that was a different world. So I wrote that as a memory in 2009, and I didn't want to publish because that's too personal. But finally, when I, I showed him, he said, Dad, this is a great book. This is the book that my generation will like to read it, because we're talking so much about the freedom. Yesterday, you saw it in Oscar. We're talking so much about freedom, about everything. But, but what is freedom, actually? It's not just a going from uh, Mexico, North Africa, and get a job in some other country. It's the way how we have to transform ourselves to not only to take it something from the country where we immigrate, but also uh, giving something, to embrace new culture, new way of life, have new friends, tolerance, uh, understand the way how the other people live it, if we want to establish our life, our home, our family. So that's the road to freedom. So it's not only the road to freedom, how to get to the freedom, how to get past the border, but also uh, a little bit how is and um, how we have to mentally be prepared. So, so that's my story. And uh, as I present that in London, and uh, one lady from from Windsor, she said, "Well, actually, this is all immigrant story." And I, I was, I was very pleased. That was for me something rewarding. 
You know, I think that's very true. And one of the, the things that I'm glad that you have done is preserved the feelings of someone who experienced this kind of situation. Because I think often when students study history, it seems very impersonal to them. They can't relate. They, they don't have any idea. They don't know anyone from that era. And one of the things that I liked about your book is that this has so much of a personal feel to it. Most of this is autobiographical. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. However, I, I did develop a little bit of atmosphere of a country like Poland, how we can, uh, how we did survive, even with everywhere was shortage of everything, no freedom, no liberty, nothing. But the, the human nature always is defending itself, always reinvent and try to survive. So that was the, the little bit of uh, how I say, I develop a story. I develop a little bit of the, that's why it's a novel. It's not only an autobiography. It's, it's based on my life. Everything is true there. Except that, uh, you know, I have to change some, some, some names, some people who were involved around me, and that they all real. Are you a fencer? There's a story in there about your character, Alfred, Albert, I'm sorry, who is yeah. a fencer, and he's very good. Is that you? That's me. I was a fencer. I was a Europe champion, and actually, uh, that was, for me, the, the biggest disappointment was that even if I was so good, but I was politically incorrect. I was rebellious in the way that I I'm, was always asking too many questions. And uh, in 1968, was the uh, Olympic uh, Games in Mexico. And my plan was actually to go to Mexico. I was not even 18. That's why they didn't select me to go there. But that was my plan, that if I would be in Mexico at any price, I would try to escape to America from there. But I never reached Mexico, because even if I won all European championship, all the, 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 the tournament, uh, they, for them, it was too much political risk to send few youngsters like me who will eventually escape, cross the border, and uh, be interviewed. And of course, a little bit uh, will talk about how the life is under communism. They actually made you or asked you to throw the match, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> You know, in, in those days, uh, we as a uh, satellite countries of Russia, we didn't have much to say. Uh, we have to obey the political um, agenda uh, in somehow, and even in sport. Uh, well, as you see, even today, you have once in a while the scandals about arranging the games, and uh, uh, that's maybe for, for financial reasons for, for those who, who, who play with that. But in my days, no, the games were political, and uh, beating a Russian opponent in a final uh, was something outrageous. I remember watching the Olympics, and I do remember the Russian athletes, and I thought one of the points that you made in the book was that really these guys were almost 
professionals. That's really all that they did. And you talked about the facilities and how wonderful the facilities were, but it was very interesting. I've never heard an insider perspective from the sports standpoint, and I confess that I'm a sports fan. And so I thought that that was a particularly interesting aspect of your book. You got your education there. You were sort of forced into going to school. You, at one point in time, you were identified as a, a really smart kid. And without any, there was no question. You were simply chosen, and they said, here's what you're going to do. I think that our kids today need to understand how wonderful it is to have the freedom to make choices. And I think that in the book, you demonstrate very, very well what it's like not to have those choices. How did that make you feel, to be sort of shoved into a mold? What this segment, this segment actually developed uh, for my son, who, who graduated from financial university, he went to Boston, the Babson College. Then after he made MBA in, in Toronto, he was educating in Switzerland, uh, all over the world. And always by choice. Okay, he was fortunate that the parents could afford to send him to the best school. And nevertheless, that was a choice. So he's, he didn't actually have the clue how it worked in my time. Well, even, uh, you know, my, today, I'm very much interested in, in studying history and literature, and that's, that is my, today is my hobby. But in those days, uh, if I would be a, a historian, I was, was always thinking I could be an archaeologist, whatever. So that was in the, always in the way of thinking that I can escape from Poland going outside, to, let's say, making archaeological research in Egypt or somewhere else. But no, that was no choice. You say, well, we Polish economy, as in communist economy, we need the engineers, we need the workers. You know, that was... Uh, we, we don't need the, the thinkers, we don't need the, those uh, liberal arts, etc. Uh, that was dictator, dictatorship. So, it, uh, I was bright kid, I went to architecture school, I want to do uh, uh, renovation of uh, ancient buildings. They said, no, 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 it's, uh, it's fine, you, we, we have enough architects here, now we have to be engineers. Or take it or leave it. No, you have to go and work in a factory upstate. So, uh, that was the that was the choice. Actually, anything in life was not the choice. Somebody decided for you. Uh, like you just mentioned, in the sport, uh, in 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 way of, of life, even in way of living. You know, you couldn't move. Let's say if you want to go tomorrow and establish yourself in Warsaw, you have to have a permit to go from one city to other to live there, and you have to have a job which is assigned by somebody else. And so that was the. That was this, this kind of system of regime which was established on which individuality was not important. The collective had all the rights. And in that day and time, the idea of having the right papers, that was absolutely crucial. I know at one point in time, you, you show us uh, 
Albert going to the immigration. He's trying to get a, a, a visa to go somewhere else. And because he doesn't have some proper documentation, he's turned down. And the thing that I, I really enjoyed was that you showed through your character of Albert the, the internal struggle that he was going through because he would not be brainwashed into the communist doctrine. He said, you called it feet of clay, that it was uh, the whole um, big idea was actually had a clay bottom and you could see that it was not going to be the way they kept saying it was going to be, that it was going to topple. And I thought that was very interesting that you had your young character. You know, he's a college student. He's just uh, working with his friends to try to escape. And I thought that was a very interesting insider perspective. It is. It, it, it is very interesting what, what you just mentioned. Uh, we, we still kind of serve that today, you know, we just, uh, we just watching what's going to happen in Cuba. Well, this is the base of the same regime. And if you go to the Cuba, they don't have any freedom of anything whatsoever. And this is only 150 miles south of the United States of America. You know, the 13 or 14 million people living like that, it is slavery. And but in, in my time was a billion people, you know, including China today. You don't have that. China is, is better off in capital business, but still you don't have this freedom. Okay, you can travel, but in my time we couldn't travel, we could go nowhere uh, except for the socialist countries like uh, Czechoslovakia, the Bulgaria, Romania, and also with a permit. Uh, so anybody who had a little bit uh, different way of thinking or 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 some kind of desire to change his life, uh, he has to have a permit for it. And the permit was not granted because a majority of those officials, they knew it, that the, the young men like me uh, would never come back. So they, of course, they control us by not giving us passport, not giving us a visa, not giving us the rights to go somewhere else. And, uh, and also, it's some kind of oppressive revenge. Well, if you were intelligent, if you were good, like in sport. So we send you to work into the factory, we send you to army, we send you to the police working uh, in order to, to, to temper your desire to change your life. That's what's, that was the, the, the main objective of the regime, the system. Now, I read the excerpt that's on Amazon. Our, our listeners can go to Amazon.com and they can look up the book by title and by your name, and they can read a very nice excerpt. Where else is the book available? Well, the book is available everywhere. It's Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Auto House. Uh, you have uh, almost every, every book. Uh, if you go on, uh, on Google, and you can also very well find where I am in my website, www.alfredlenarchek.com. And also, this website that describes my, my previous books and my future books, because I'm, I'm working presently for another one, which will be published somewhere in May, May June. So, uh, alfredlenarchek.com, L-E-N-A-R-C-I-A-K, uh, that's very easy. But the book is available everywhere. Now, you also have a Twitter feed. How can our listeners yeah. find you on Twitter? Yes, that's uh, Lenarchek, Twitter Lenarchek. Also on the website, you find my Twitter, my all information about it. Alfred, you've been.
been absolutely fascinating. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to talk about my life, my book, and uh, and all of us who maybe some of in in the past some our previous generation passed through the immigration procedures. Always difficult, but we have to do that. Well, best of luck with the book, Alfred. Thank you very much. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. I'd like to introduce you to Willow Love. She's a graduate of Baylor University with a bachelor's degree in English and theater arts. She enjoys drawing, writing poetry, and is currently working on a screenplay, which I think is wonderful. She's here with us today to talk about her new book, The Ziegler Rules. Welcome, Willow. Thank you, and good afternoon. Well, good afternoon to you. You know, your book is very interesting, and it was inspired by an actual event in your life. Would you describe that event for our listeners? Yes. In 2010, there was a humongous flood. It was three days of Tolerance rain in Georgetown, and we actually had um, almost all the way up to my knees, and I'm five foot eight, and the length of water, so that's what, about four and a half feet of water. And it actually took out our phones first. If my daughter had not had a cell phone, we wouldn't be here. Oh, wow. What an adventure. Yes. And not in a good way, right? Right, right. And I used the animals that are in the in the story. They were real animals that we actually had that survived. There are twenty of them. Yep. <laughs> Some of them aren't mine. <laughs> but they're such interesting characters and you gave each one of them a personality. Let's before we really get started, let's talk about the book in general terms and let's give the listeners an overview of the action in the book so they'll understand what we're talking about. Well, this starts with a, a, a group of us animals. Uh, they're mainly farm animals like our chickens, roosters, uh, uh, the dachshunds. We've got turtles and cats and Lisa Hanley live together as a family. They call themselves the Ziegler family because that's the name of the household that lived there. And it's their adventures after the flood. You get all the adventures of how they live in the house prior to it, and they live by rules that they set up. And they pray to God because they believe in God. So we are Christian animals. And it's all what happens to them. And they developed their Christian principles sort of eavesdropping on the people who used to live in the house. They've abandoned the house. And so some of the animals that belong to the, the Ziegler family that lived there have been abandoned. Right. Right. And they definitely uh, did listen in. And uh, Tommy, I think that's the turtle there. He is the one that has maintained all of the scriptures that he heard. So he passes it on. How did you come up? Kind of like our minister. Exactly. How did you come up 
with the 12 Ziegler rules. And let's talk about that. I mean, I wrote them down so that we could talk about that with the listeners. I'm not going to list all 12 of them, but I thought this was a great idea. It's almost like the animal 12 commandments. Right. That's exactly the idea. Every animal can learn how to pray. Every animal can learn the scriptures that Toddy and Tommy know by heart. Every creature is important, no matter what size they are. No chasing of any animals unless in mutual agreement of gentle play. I love this. How did you come up with these rules? Well, out of actually watching my animals, and I thought about this and thought about it for a long and hard and prayed about it, to what I wanted to for these animals to live with, because our animals, we actually sat with us when we, we did our Bible story, so I thought that was, you know, interesting that they that you do it the whole time. And, you know, sometimes you'll look at a dog or a cat, and they'll be looking up at you, and you'll be talking to them, and you would absolutely just swear that they understand what you're saying. I believe I believe very much that they that they do. They don't understand exactly what we're saying, but they expect you know understand the tone. Yes, I think that's a very good point. Well, what happens in the book? There's a a big event that happens in the book, and it, all of the animals are are very frightened. Yes, we have we have the house flooding, like my real house flooded. We have the house flooding. To where the, everything is uh, floating in the house, that they have to all get together to, in order to survive, that they come up to, with the idea of using totes. And they gather everybody up to, that they could to survive this flood. So it's kind of like uh, the Noah Ark, a uh, smaller, smaller idea. I thought it was terrific. There's an excerpt on Amazon that I went to and read, and there's the most adorable dog that's pictured on the cover of the book. Is that one of your animals, or is that... Yes, it is. That is actually one of the zebra animals. That is Lily. Really? Yes, that is Lily. Now, Lily is a long-haired dachshund, right? No, Lily is... Oh, you're, you're talking about the newer one, sorry. The long-haired dachshund is Rio. He is he is also from the Ziegler household, the real Ziegler household. He was kind of like the matriarch there, and he took in my animals when we stayed with them through the flood time. And he was a wonderful, wonderful dachshund. I just thought his picture was absolutely adorable, and it really... Everyone loves dogs, and he's just so cute that I found the cover very attractive. When I when I pulled it up and I looked at him, I thought, oh, <laughs> it made me want to pet him. He was a, he was a wonderful dog. Rio uh, passed away this past, uh, this past year. So he actually lived through this event, too. So it's a little bit of a memorial for him. Yes, yes. Now, you have one sort of mean character in the novel. You have a ball python. You have Raja, the, the yes. artist, and the mean snake. Do you really have yes. that mean snake? Actually, she was part of the Ziegler household, the real Ziegler household. She was a pet that they said wretch to. <laughs> and I, I, she wasn't very nice, and I thought she'd be perfect for this role. There's got to be a villain somewhere, doesn't there? Yes, there has to be. 
And I know that if she could have gotten free, she would have eaten everything in that house. She could have gotten her mouth hose. She was huge. Oh, dear. Is there a real Ziegler house that you've seen? Yes, there is. Is There actually is. Tell me the story of that house. Well, uh, when we, when our house got flooded, uh, we had a young lady by the name of Karen Ziegler that lived with, that was helping us out with uh, like taking care of my daughter, and she invited us to come and stay with her while our house was being fixed. And they were wonderful people. She had her own children living there and still made room for us. And so when she had our animals, her animals, which was uh, Rio and Kipper and Raja and some, some birds that I can't remember their names. And <laughs> it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's see. So Nicholas were wonderful. Well, could it by any chance have been, let's see, I have animal names here, maybe Skylar? A blue parakeet, oh. or a Tweety, a yellow. Skylar was one of our original parakeets. I I liked him. I never knew the name of hers, so I we used hers. We used our names. Oh, good idea! And there was also another one named Tweety, who was yellow. Right, Tweety also yes. Well, I think what you did with this, the personification with the animals, I thought was really really good. And when the book opens, you have. Rihanna, who is a black cat, and she's the one that's being responsible. You've got the turtle Tommy, who's right there in his little tank, and and he's got Tuck, who's the tadpole that uh, the the little boy that owned Tommy wanted him to eat, and he didn't. He became his friend, and you show right. Rihanna going around, and she's she's taking care of everyone. She's feeding everyone. I thought yeah. that, that was a very nice touch. Well, see, Tommy, Tommy was our favorite. He was a beautiful turtle. He actually lived almost 14 and a half years. Wow. His uh, Tuck, the son, was actually real. Uh, unfortunately, he did think that Tuck was a turtle. And Tuck uh, tried to eat him off one day and could not do so and passed away. Oh, dear. So uh, we, in order to help Tommy, who was mourning, and turtles do mourn, he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't do anything but lay at the bottom of the bottom of the tank. We found Patty and brought her home and and gave him a friend. Yes. Well, do you have a website that our listeners might go to and learn more about you and learn more about the book? Awful. <laughs> yeah. That's a great website. My brains are not the best in the world, though. Today, I know it's a uh, will love. Uh, I think it's 1331 at Wix.com. I know it's at Wix. I'm horrible with these. <laughs> well, if, if they Google Willow Love, will they be yes. able to find you? Will they find your website? They might find it with Willow Love, the Ziggler Rules. Oh, good. I know that's, yeah. Now, do you, uh, do you have a Facebook page? Yes, I do. How might they find you on Facebook? Laura Love at uh, 1331gmail.com. Okay, good. And do you do Twitter? Do you have a Twitter account? I am learning Twitter. <laughs> that has been a new notion to me. It's been very interesting. I don't think I quite got it down yet, but I'm working on it. But they can look for you and maybe help you practice, right? That would be wonderful. I would appreciate that very much. 
Now, where else can we find the book? If, if they go to Amazon and they do exactly what you said, if they put in the Ziegler Rules by Willow Love, it'll come right up and they can, they'll see the, the cover of the book that we have just spoken about and they can click on that and it says look inside and they can read an excerpt of the book. Where else is it available, Willow? I know it's also on Barnes and Nobles. Okay. And I actually found it at the Christian bookstore also. Is it on the Author House website as well? Yes, it is. It sure is. Now, let me ask you one one last question. Why did you write this book? Was there a particular reason? Yes, to help my daughter get through the horror of that night. And has it helped her? Yes, it has. Good. Well, this has been absolutely terrific. I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for your patience, and I appreciate everyone that's listening. Thank you, and best of luck with the book, Willow. Thank you. Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up a good book and read. Read.